Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband Josh wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want, we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. They need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry, and then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way, and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church, exactly. knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Christmas season is upon us. <clears throat> As you can tell with the decorated Christmas trees from Restoration Hardware and this word back here and some cool uplighting, we are celebrating Christmas. No, um, Advent is what the church celebrates at this time of year. And Advent is a, a tradition that the church around the world for, for thousands of years have uh, designed their calendars, their church calendars around this season. Advent is a Latin word for a Greek word that means peru, uh, arrival. And this season is the season where the church waits expectantly. We wait expectantly for the incarnation, God in the flesh, the day that Jesus came uh, to the earth and was born. And that's what this season is about. It's about creating space for God to speak to us, create space for us to wait anticipating what God might do. And so every year the church uh, uses this season as a a time to prepare ourselves for 
um, the incarnation. It's such a, a day to celebrate in the church. But for most of us, church is really about hot chocolate, eggnog lattes, uh, national lampoons, Christmas vacation, or whatever, the Grinch, or whatever it is, plus your holiday traditions of decorating your trees, decorating your houses, decorating everything that you possibly can, including dogs and little children. Um, we, we celebrate it with holiday parties and, and gifts. And we, we give generously to charities during this time of year, this season. And, and so it, it's, it's really, it's quite exciting. And, and it's funny because my wife and I, we were just last week, we have a business meeting. Usually every week or so, we do a date night and a business meeting. Because what we found is that on our date nights, we were trying to handle our business as being married on the date. And that, that wasn't very romantic for me. So it might be romantic to my wife who loves that stuff, but not for me. I want uh, romantic comedies and flowers and stuff like that. So, um, just kidding. Uh, so we were there having our business meeting where we talk about our schedule. Who are we going to invite over this week? What, you know, what, what's the plan? Where's our budget at? And we just realized that looking towards the new year, we are going to be exhausted. Right? Does anyone else ha- recognize, like, this is like holiday parties, weddings, uh, Christmas uh, stuff, you know, the tree lighting. It's just absolutely exhausting. And it's f- fascinating because what, what we've come to realize is during the season where we are intentionally waiting for God to arrive and celebrate Jesus' birth, it's become a season and a holiday of stress and busyness, exhaustion. In fact, therapists have coined the term holiday anxiety. That this particular time of year, most people are financially stressed, are, are committing themselves to too many things and find themselves exhausted from their overcommitments. This is also a season where people begin to feel isolated and alone. They feel loneliness. Depression is higher. Suicide rates increase around this time of year. This is a season of anxiety. And I, I, I believe... Um, that there are a lot of us here that when I describe um, the experience of feeling overwhelmed, feeling stressed, feeling tired and chronically tired, feeling um, a sense of, of exhaustion, feeling uh, burnt out, I, I describe feeling like the world's caving in, that the anxiety is something that we feel. And I believe that there are a lot of us here this morning that feel burnt out that feel tired, and that feel like this is the only way to live. In fact, that many of us have just settled with that reality, that the only way to live is to just cope with the fatigue and exhaustion and stress, anxiety and busyness. And we're talking about irresistible. We're talking about Jesus and the life that, um, that Jesus offers us everyone here and now we're talking about what it means to follow jesus as a disciple and irresistible is this this the last few weeks we've been talking about that jesus offers us a way to live here and now a way a life that's marked by peace and joy and and justice and and love and rest and abundance and and so we've been talking about how do we actually live this out and as we approach christmas and this unique season i really want to encourage us this morning to just be open Um, because the only thing I want to share with you today is that for those of you that are here and you're tired and you're burnt out and you're exhausted and you suffer with anxiety, that there is another another way to live. That in Jesus, there is hope and there is change. 
You with me? So grab a Bible, Matthew chapter 6. Um, we're in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is instructing his disciples what it looks like to live here and now and how to live out this kingdom life. And um, we've talked about our anger. We've talked about loving our enemies and releasing our baggage. We've talked about... Um, uh, we've talked about last week, we talked about treasures and how to treasure uh, the things that will last for eternity. And, and in recognition that a lot of people today are living life uh, in a state of uncertainty and accepting that as normality, Jesus offers another way to live. And so it starts in verse 25, of chapter 6. It says this, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, Or about your body, what you will uh, wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So to summarize this teaching, which most of us have heard, I've heard this a dozen times, I've preached it a couple of times, and we've, we're very familiar with this phrase. In fact, we say it to our friends when they're struggling with an exam the next day, or uh, you, you feel somebody's stressed in your household, and you just, you just say, oh, don't worry, Jesus tells us not to worry about life. And I find that quite to, to be quite offensive, to be honest. I, I think it's, it's really uh, unfair fair for us just to say it without understanding the meaning. Um, but but we, the way, what we hear Jesus teaching is simply this. He's saying, as followers of his, as children of God, and as participants in the kingdom of heaven, we do not have to worry about our life. We don't have to worry about life. That, and then Jesus goes on to use illustrations of how God provides and supplies the needs of creation. So birds don't worry. Um, God takes the care of them. So why do you worry? You can't add a, an hour to your life or an inch to your height. So what's the purpose of worrying? And the lilies are clothed with beauty. And Solomon, the wealthiest man in human history, couldn't even dress himself that way. But God provided for creation that way. So um, why do you worry? Since you are more valuable than, than creation. You're more valuable than birds and, and grass. Okay, so that, that's the logic. It's a, it's a very classical argument. Jesus is just pointing out things that he's seeing probably. But, but what we've done today, and most of you, maybe some of you have the American Dream Translation Bible, the ADT. Um, it's, not actually, it's not actually a Bible, so don't go out searching. How do I get that Bible? <laughs> it's not a thing. Um, except most of us interpret this passage this way. If I put God first in my life, meaning I do all these Christian things for him, then he'll give me everything I ever wanted, right? I, I mean, can we just confess if we believe that? If I, if I do all these things, like if I, if I pray today, I'm going to get an A 
on that exam or whatever it is that you're hoping for. The American Dream translation goes much further than that. If I just throw a couple of bucks in the offering, if I do good, I live a moral life, if I go show up on Sundays, then God's going to give me everything I could ever imagine. The house, the white picket fence, the the two cars, the two kids, the dog and the boat uh, and retirement, right? Am I right? That's how we've often translated this passage. That, or we, we, we talk about that passage uh, in the Psalms that says, uh, Delight in the ways of the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. And we just think if, as long as we worship God, then He's just going to give me whatever I want. That is not biblical at all. That's not a, a biblical concept. And that's not actually what Jesus is teaching in this passage. And so, okay, some of us have bought into that. If you'd be willing to confess the 915, some people confess that. So you're, not, you're in good company that we apply these formulas over Scripture thinking that it's going to give us the best solution in our lives. Um, but, okay, but we read this passage and we say, um, I'm not really worried about food and clothing. I have more sophisticated worries, right? Any of us do that? We're like, well, I mean, yeah, I don't worry about those, you know, essential things. I've, I've got real worries. I, I worry about whether or not I'm going to make rent this month. I'm worried about being unemployed and losing my job. I'm worried about my spouse who's going through chemo. I'm worried about my, my son who has special needs and I, he goes to school every week and I, I, I go to work worrying about how the kids on the playground are going to treat him. We have sophisticated worries. We worry about all sorts of things in life. So how is it that Jesus can just say, if I, if I can't pay my medical bills, is he going to pay it? If my, my spouse gets sick again, is, is he going to take care of that? What is, he, what is he saying? Don't worry about life. Don't you think it's a little unfair? Does anyone else feel like this, this is often too difficult to really process? I'm just giving you kind of my insight into this text because I've argued with Jesus about this many a times. So what is he actually saying? Well, in the Bible, it says this. First of all, he talks about worry. And, and what is Jesus actually saying? So he says, do not worry. Now, what's interesting is that the word worry is used six times. Okay? So as you learn to interpret Scripture on your own, you recognize that when words are repeated, there's some, something that's important there. You've got to pay attention to those things. When he says, do not worry, three times. Now, in the first century... If you were writing or you were an oral teacher or, or a rabbi, if you wanted to emphasize something, you would repeat it three times. You want to make sure that people know that God is holy, you'd say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That was a way of emphasizing. We didn't have emojis and emoticons to let people know what we were doing. But So this is Jesus' emoji right here, okay? He's just like cap locks, bold, letting you know that this is a very important piece of his teaching because he doesn't really repeat a lot of this stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. This is a very unique passage where worry and do not worry is emphasized in cap locks, bold, emoji, emoji, emoticons. You with me? So what, why, what is Jesus saying? So let's define what worry is. Worry is, uh, is allowing one's mind to dwell on difficulty or trouble. It's a feeling of unease, fear of an uncertain outcome. How many of us worry? And if, if, if you don't raise your hand, I don't think you're human. Let's be honest. It's a feeling of unease, a fear of an uncertain outcome. It's a feeling of being uh, uncertain of a situation. And worry um, is connected to the word anxiety in Greek. And anxiety is a unique word. Anxiety uh, is a nervous disorder characterized by a state of 
excessive uneasiness, which leads to panic attacks. Now, here's what's interesting about anxiety. It is the number one mental illness diagnosed in the United States. It has increased by 1,200% in 30 years. And there are over 40 million adults, not including kids, that are diagnosed with anxiety disorder. And uh, so what's interesting about anxiety, too, is that anxiety is actually a good thing. Okay, so it, we, we're all born with this defense mechanism. Animals have a defense mechanism as well, where your, you, your mind and your body, they don't have to think about being anxious or afraid in a situation. So what happens is, what anxiety really is, it comes from fear. And, and what happens is you walk into a situation and you become afraid. It's your body's self-defense mechanism to say you've got to fight the situation or, or, or flight, fight or flight. You've got to flee and get away. So if an animal you know, walks up to a pond and there's an alligator, um, his mechanism is, I've got to run away from this alligator. Okay, and then he, he runs away. The anxiety, the fear comes into his body, into its body, and they run away. And that's how anxiety and fear is supposed to work in us naturally. But what's happened over time and what psychologists have described in, in, um, is this, that they have discovered that as humans in, in the 21st century in the United States, we are living in a constant state of fear and anxiety. We constantly feel nervous, powerless, a sense of impending doom. Uh, some of us actually are physically affected um, by our anxiety. We have trouble breathing. We have trouble sleeping. We have trouble eating. We have stomach problems. We're tired all the time. We're, we feel weak. We feel overwhelmed. And it often produces a panic attack. A panic attack literally is a, a feeling like you're dying. If you've ever experienced it, I can speak from experience. That panic attacks are horrible. You literally, sometimes you can't breathe. You feel like the world is caving in. You, you can see different things. Uh, it, it's absolutely crisis. And so anxiety is wrapped up into all those things. Now, can we just do this just to make this a, a place where we can be vulnerable and honest? How many of you suffer with anxiety? Keep your hands up high. Up, let's look around real quick. I just want you to see this. Because oftentimes the church will just say, uh, oh, don't be anxious. Cast all your worries and anxieties on the Lord and go and live your merry life. And what is it? What, well, what do we do then when we're having panic attacks all the time? What do we do then when we walk into, uh, when we get a text message about somebody wanting to hang out and, we, and they're a good friend, but we feel overwhelmed by trying to figure out our calendars because we're stretched too thin? What do we do with that, that feeling? Do you know what I'm talking about? So Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't worry about life. That in the kingdom of God, you actually don't have to worry about anything. Okay. Before we keep going, uh, the word anxiety, uh, anxious, is a Latin word. It comes from a Latin word. And the word, I love the illustration because this connects us to why Jesus can say, don't worry about your life. Because it's connected to this understanding. Um, Anxious, is, it comes from this Latin word um, that means to be torn apart. And the image, and this is gruesome and helpful at the same time, is uh, 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 the way they used to uh, execute individuals back in the day. Um, they would tie their limbs to four different horses and they would be t pulled apart. And that image is where you get the word, that action is where you get the word anxiety. To be torn apart. So Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Don't be torn apart by the world, now, by, by all these things. Now, why does he say it? Well, here's why. Go back to verse uh, 25. 
of chapter 6. I want you to circle this. And part of my role as, as a teacher on Sunday is not just to, to quote-unquote feed you, but it's to help you feed yourselves. And so if you've taken my Bible class or the basics class, we talked about this particular thing. Uh, it's called what I call the rule of therefore, or um, it, it's simply this. Whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is it therefore? So good. I'm not... Other nerds will laugh. Other Bible geeks will laugh. And that's thousands of dollars in seminary for free this morning. So you're so welcome. Hopefully you enjoyed that one. So what's it there for? Well, it's connected to last week's teaching. So let's read that again. Because to to understand how to live a non-anxious life, you have to understand the the, the assumption that Jesus brings into this, this teaching we just shared. So it goes back to the previous teaching, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus connects worry to treasures. Right? Remember last week we talked about treasures. Treasures, um, Jesus refers to it as material wealth, but it's much bigger than that. You can treasure or value anything. You can value and treasure your reputation, your health, your family, your status, your possessions, your job, your dreams, um, your families. Um, and treasures uh, are, are, is anything. A treasure is anything that I value to the point where I orient my life, my significance, and identity around it. So... When you treasure something, you're orienting your life, your significance, your identity, the meaning that you get out of life around those treasures. So real quickly, what do you treasure? Or let me ask it this way. This is probably easier. What do you worry about? Come on. Let's raise, what, what do you worry about? Shut it out. Worry about my family. What do we worry? We worry about our family being provided for. We worry about our family being healthy. We worry about things that could happen to our family if we go in the ocean and swim. We're thinking about sharks. We're thinking about turtles, some of us. We're thinking about <laughs> sea lions, some of us. We're thinking about all sorts of things. They could, get, they could drown. We're thinking about all the potentials that could go wrong. What else? We worry about money and finances, not having enough. What else? Health, we worry about our health. We worry about getting sick. We worry about if our body's going to deteriorate long or sooner than later. We worry about how we look. What else? We worry about our future. Now, all of these things, this is what I mean by treasures and values. All of these things, we begin to navigate, manage, and arrange our life around. And our fear also determines how we manage and live our life around those things. So if we worry about, worry about our family, we will choose to not do something in our life based on that fear of that thing happening. If we, if we worry about not having enough money, we will work harder and harder for the fear of not having enough in case this job disappears. We, we constantly are exhausting ourselves around the things we value most. And Jesus' teaching is simply value and treasure the things that will continue on in the age to come. Value and treasure things that last forever value and treasure things that are certain not uncertain and then he says you can't serve two masters and what's connected to that is uh the idea of being a slave you cannot be enslaved 
to treasures like wealth and possessions, like your retirement, like your family, like your health, like money, like your job security and God. You can't be enslaved to both because what happens? Guess what will happen? It produces a life of anxiety. You will be torn apart. So the assumption in verse 25, the therefore, is simply this. That as followers of Jesus, as children of God, as participants in the kingdom of heaven, we choose God. The only thing that is certain is God. The only thing that matters is God and him in our lives. And this is the connection point. Jesus is saying that if you treasure wrongly, you can't help but worry because your treasures are insecure. If what Jesus is doing is so radical that what what he's doing is inviting us to abandon all the stuff we store up as treasure because that stuff that uh, and that the insecurity about it leads us to a life full of worry and anxiety. If you treasure um, money, you can't help but worry about the economy. If you treasure uh, your appearance, you can't help but worry about getting older. If you treasure your family, you cannot help but worry about all the possible and horrible things that could go wrong and happen to your family. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve God and your family. You can't serve God and your reputation. You can't serve God and whatever it is that you treasure the most. Whatever it is that you find your identity, value, and purpose and worth in. The only thing that is current, the only thing that matters, the only thing that is certain is Jesus. That's it. And if you try to live in both worlds, you will live a life torn apart. Full of anxiety full of despair. There is another way to live. There is another way to live. As early back as I can remember, I dealt with crippling anxiety. I remember being a kid and uh, trying desperately to be a part of everything I could, I would I would say yes to uh, if I, in order for me to be successful in life, I had to be the best, right? And so that that competitive spirit inside of me made me uh, a B was never good enough. I had to get A's. I found my value in the approval of others. And so the approval of the teacher, the approval of my peers, I, in my, by my senior year in high school, I was, I was participating in hip-hop dance. That's right. Where we were, um, that's one. Um, I was participating in choir and improv and acting. I played, every, I played water polo and swimming and basketball. Um, I was part of National Honor Society. I was part of ASB. I did everything I can uh, just, just to fill the emptiness inside, to prove that I was, I was good enough. But that produced this crazy amount of anxiety because when I wasn't making everyone happy, guess what I felt? Anxious. Disappointed. I wasn't good enough. I believe that the root of most of our anxiety is found in our identity issues. For me... I never felt good enough. And so I managed my life around this treasure, which was the approval of others. 
So I, I navigated my schedule, I navigated my activities, I navigated all of my relationships in life around fulfilling this great big hole inside of myself that produced this life of anxiety. And, and I say that because I had panic attacks growing up all the time. But um, most recently, uh, when I became a pastor, if you suffer with the um, condition of uh, people-pleasing, the worst job for you is to become a pastor. <laughs> It's so true. The, the, the worst job uh, as a pastor is to plant a church with the, the identity issue that your value comes from what people think of you. So what happened over time is as the church grew, I would just say yes to people. I would just say yes to meeting them. I'd say yes to uh, doing whatever it is they wanted to do. I would organize my schedule and my calendar around those requests. I would never say no. Um, I would base the, the literally how I felt on Sunday um, on the response I got from how good my message was. I mean, it was so bad. I was sick to my stomach. I, was, um, I had to go to see a doctor because I was bleeding in places you shouldn't bleed as a 27-year-old. Uh, I, I would have to... Uh, I was having panic attacks because I would get in the car. I would have a panic attack because somebody would text me. A friend would want to hang out, and I just couldn't open my schedule and try to fit it all in because I just said yes to everything. And literally, my life was literally torn apart as I was leading. I was so anxious. I would be uh, having trouble breathing uh, before sermons. I would have my wife be laying on my back. And I remember so many times Alex counting to 10, helping me breathe in and breathe out. And, and the reality is I learned over time. that I just thought I had to deal with this stuff. I just thought that this is what it meant to be a pastor. This is what it meant to be a leader. I didn't realize that the reason I was anxious wasn't because uh, God was causing that for me. The reason I was anxious was because I was worshiping the wrong God. The reason I was suffering from anxiety is because I was living a life that wasn't congruent with what Jesus was saying. Because he says the cure to anxiety is to choose to follow God and please God and not everyone else. And for me, when I read this passage, what I realized is that, uh, that Jesus gave me a way out. And a few years ago, I was so convicted about my life because I suffered with crippling anxiety. I suffered, suffered with panic attacks. I constantly felt depression. And, and I was like, uh, Jesus tells us that our life is to be full of peace and joy and abundance. And here I am, a pastor, and I can't figure it out. I felt all this shame and guilt. And then I read this passage and he says, so don't, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And originally I would think, well, I've got sophisticated worries, God. My wife's sick. My son went to the hospital. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'll make enough money. I had plenty of excuses. And then I read this passage and he says, for the pagans, the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. When I read the word pagan, it cut me to the heart. Because the word pagan means those that don't know God. The word pagan in the Jewish context was anyone that wasn't Jewish. And the Jews believed that God created the heavens and the earth. We are not products of randomness and chance. That he delights in his children. And that because they know God, they also know themselves. And who they are are dearly beloved children of God. But the pagans don't have that luxury. They worship gods that they don't know. They worship gods where they don't know if they're angry with them or upset or if they'll do what he asks. But that's not, that's not our God. Our God says that we are his children. 
That we are good enough. If you want to know if you're good enough, look at Jesus on the cross and receive that love. I was good enough. And what I realized is I was worshiping the approval of others. My treasure is what people thought of me, not what God thought of me. And when God came into my life and I began to release that core identity that was rooted back to my childhood, I began to experience peace. Sermons weren't about proving anything to you. They were about just showing up and being a gift. And if you rejected it, fine. If you didn't like it, it's fine. If you sent me a critical email, I don't care. Go to another church. Now, three, two years ago, a year and a half, when Peter got here, or Peter DeSoto, I mean, he could see the change even as we've worked together. I mean, it's been a long, hard journey. But what we recognize is that at the core of it is this lack of understanding that we are loved by God. And that so many of us, the problem is that we're trying to hold on to too many things. And God wants to center us in his love and center us in our identity and root us in our true selves. And when we do that, there are no more excuses. There are no more apologies. There's no need to worry because our God knows our needs and will care for us. He knows that our spouse is sick. He knows that you have a sermon to write again. He knows that you have, you have a test tomorrow. He knows that you have to pay rent every month, the first of every month. He knows these things. And so there's no reason to fret or worry, but simply to orient ourselves around what is constant and true and that's him jesus says the secret to uh to non-anxious living is to seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness to reorient your life around him to discover that god actually is kind and generous and loving and gracious and for me uh i didn't i didn't know that i was preaching that i thought that was true for everyone else I would tell everyone, God loves you as you are and as you should be. But I never just sat and received that and said, yeah, he, actually, he loves me as I am and not as I should be. And that began to free me from the disorder and chaos of my anxiety and panic attacks. And I learned to stand in the reality of what is true. That's faith, to sit in the reality. When I didn't feel like I was good enough, I would have to say to myself, I am good enough. When I started feeling anxious, I would start processing, well, what do I feel anxious for? What's that? What's the root? And at the end of it, almost every time it would come back to just this identity issue. That at the end of the day, I was trying to make somebody happy. I was trying to please somebody. I was trying to be a perfectionist and succeed. And at the end of the day, I don't need to do any of those things. And neither do you. Do you know this God? Do you know that God? So here's a couple of thoughts to, to end our time. Um. I believe that God wants to heal some of us this morning from our anxiety issues. Some of us have been carrying anxiety for far too long, and we actually believe that this is the norm, that we are going to live the rest of our lives dealing with chronic anxiety, and I believe that you can change. I believe that God can heal you, and I believe that there's another way to live. Here's what I've learned over the years. I just want to share a couple of practical points, because I always want to help uh, you know, value I have now as teaching is to help us Monday through Saturday. That Sunday should lead us and inspire us to Monday through Saturday. And some of us need some tangible. So here's what I, I want to share. How do you live a non-anxious life? Well, in my life, this is really hard, okay? Because I relapse all the time. Anyone else relapse into anxiety? When you get, you like, you get a couple of feet forward and you're like, yes, and you come back and you're living in anxiety. So step one or point one would be seeking God. Now, that's, the word seek is to be intentional, to aim yourself towards God. And for me, that's very nebulous and ambiguous, isn't it? 
Um, and, and so for me, I have to root myself in God. So what that is, is I have to intentionally devote myself to God. So I do this not because I feel like it most of the time. I don't feel like praying all the time just to break down those false expectations you have of me. It's, it's difficult, right, to, to wake up in the morning and do devotionals. But for me, I have found that I am more anxious when I don't make God a priority by giving him time in my life. And so I, sometimes it's 10 minutes, sometimes it's an hour, sometimes it's 15 minutes. Sometimes I give myself a break, but I seek God in the morning. So I wake up and I, I do a devotion and I pray regularly. I, I, and for those of you that love praying out loud, I can sometimes do that. But prayer for me is writing it out in a journal. I was talking to somebody recently and they're like, I don't even know how to love my wife anymore. And I said, have you prayed for her lately? No. Well, why don't you start there? Every morning, wake up and start praying. So start with some discipline. So disciplines of devotion, solitude, be alone, read the scripture, pray, have a journal. I do this regularly. Uh, A discipline of Sabbath. Sabbath is so important for us. We're so busy and we're literally torn apart by our commitments that we need to learn to rest well as community and be filled up um, and love for no good reason. We don't have to prove anything to God. So rest. Um, Worship is a discipline. So seeking God for me is being very intentional every day, rooting myself in him. What happens from that is this next point, which is uh, to be rooted in your true self. When we spend time with God and when we recognize who he really is, he lets us know who we really are. And from those two things, when those two things are aligned, it doesn't matter what happens when circumstances change and come at you. Your perspective is grounded in what's ultimately true. So when you spend time with God, he roots you in your true self. And I want you, that's really good news, that you are a beloved, you are beautiful, you are God's handiwork, you are loved for, so, for no good reason at all because he makes you lovable. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from his love. When you really sink into that, it's like it doesn't matter what comes out, you can just be centered and at peace and with the rest of the world. You with me? These are disciplines though. These aren't, this doesn't come naturally. You have to take off those old ways of thinking, those false narratives about yourself, and put on the new narratives, even though you don't feel like it. Do you know what I'm talking about? I want to say this. This is for somebody here. Somebody, some of you here do not think you're beautiful, and you have self-hatred. You have to take off the self-hatred, look in the mirror, and say, God loves me. I am beautiful. I am beautiful. I am beautiful. That you, need to, you need to recognize that that's how you participate in the transformation of your soul, okay? That's, a, that's for somebody here. Next one is, uh, this is the hardest one for me. I'm a control freak. Surrender the outcomes. What causes anxiety? Well, you can't control the outcome. You're afraid of the outcome. Well, recognize that you actually can't control, very, you can't control anything. We try all the time. But a way of life for me is surrendering the outcomes. If I fail at a message, great. I learned something. People didn't like it if it was a joke wasn't funny, which happens almost every time. Um, I've just learned. I, I'll just laugh with myself. It's totally fine. Surrender the outcome, which leads to this. Embrace limits and uncertainty. You can't be everything to everyone. You, you can't do it all. You can't have it figured out. You have to learn to accept your limitations. And that's, a, that's, that's actually great. To be fully human is to embrace your limitations. And then um, this one also is, this is the big one for me, was identifying the idols. You begin to name the idols in your life. Approval of others. Um, Money. uh, The need for success. uh, The need to be special and different. We have all sorts of idols in our lives. And lastly, um, 
This is a way of life. It's gratitude. What produces a less anxious life is to find something to be thankful for every single day and moment. If you're, you're afraid of not having enough, thank God for what you do have. If you're afraid uh, that someone's going to get sick in your family, thank God every time you have your health. Gratitude is a way of life in the kingdom of God. And that, for me, has been the biggest help in overcoming anxieties. I'm naturally optimistic, but when I'm anxious, I become depressed and negative and critical. I can tell you times, guys, when I would lose my, I would lose my, my temper um, at staff members, at, at, at our elders, in elder meetings, because I was so rooted with this anxiety. And when God started to form my soul and make me gracious, thankful and gra- full of gratitude, my life began to change and my disposition towards people radically shifted because I was rooted in God and my true self. Amen? Okay, I want to invite the worship team up. And, um, we, you know, I, I had a feeling that there were a lot of people this week as we were praying I actually asked our elders and our staff and our prayer team to fast and pray for this Sunday because I felt that God was challenging me to have faith and to risk that actually God might want to heal some people today. That actually, uh, I do believe that there are lots of us, we've confessed this already, struggling with anxiety. We're struggling with anxiety and we're crippled by it regularly. And um, the response to the 915 was staggering. I just want to invite you, if you are feeling anxious, if you feel like this has become a way of life, and you would like to get prayer, I would love to pray for you. I would love for you to stand. It says in the scriptures that um, in John chapter 5, Jesus walked into a, um, the pool of Bethesda, which was this pool with five colonnades, or um, columns basically, in, in, the, in Israel, in, in Jerusalem. And what this pool was, there was this myth that um, an angel from God would come and touch the water. And if you saw the water stir, the the paralytics and those sick with chronic illnesses, they would run into the water. And whoever would run into the water first would be healed. Um, And Jesus walks into this place where it was just packed with people that were sick with conditions and ailments their whole life. And it says in John chapter 5 that there was a man that was paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus walks up to him, and he asks a random question. A room full of people that were sick. He goes up to this one guy, and he says, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? You know, I think that question is good, because what it teaches us is that for so many of us, we've coped with the life we've had, the illnesses we have, the ailments, the conditions, the sickness, the exhaustion. We've just learned to live our life and cope with those things. And Jesus asks this man that for 38 years sat there and his response was, I can't get up fast enough to get to the water first. And Jesus says to him, get up, get up, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And he's healed. And so this morning, for those of you that have lived the way I've lived and you want to take one step towards healing, I just want to invite you to stand and get up so that God can touch you this morning. You can do that now if you want. Thank you for being courageous. It's very vulnerable to expose the insides while the rest of us keep our outside exposed. And this is a very vulnerable thing. And I I believe that God's going to touch some of you. I saw at 9.15 lots of stuff happening. It was amazing. So I'm just going to invite the prayer team and all of you standing just to come forward. And right now, and the rest of us, why don't we stand as well as we're going to worship. Um... And I'm expected, and here's what I want to instruct you on, just a posture of receiving. 
And for the girl, the woman that's here that feels like she can't look in the mirror and say, I'm beautiful, I want to pray for you. If you would come up to me in a minute, I'll do that. Just, hey, why don't you guys come up? There's a lot of people back there. Wow, there's a lot of us, more than half. So just make room, and we're just going to wait here. And here's what I'm, and just right now, I just invite you to close your eyes. Um, and I just want you to hold your hands out. And this is just a posture of being open to God. I just want to receive from God. And the greatest gift we can receive is His presence. And so I'm just going to pray His presence right now that would just touch your heart. So Holy Spirit, would you come and touch my brothers and sisters? Just come, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. And wherever you are, just invite the Holy Spirit to minister. And just, it's simply this, God, come and heal me. And this, you know yourself better than anyone else, except for Jesus. And just say, God, would you touch me here? Heal me here. Wherever you Lord, would you heal me of my anxiety? Heal me of that insecurity. Heal me of that need to control. Heal me of my need to just please people. Whatever it is that you need this morning, why don't you just ask God to minister to you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org. through